Thank you for setting your podcast dial to 14th and G. I'm your host, Dean Hinkson, coming to you from the offices of Melman, Castagnetti, Rosen, and Thomas in a dazed and confused downtown Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, where the president's stocking, though hung by the White House chimney with care, in the hopes that trillions in taxpayer money would soon be there, will awake this Christmas morning to find it filled only with coal. Bituminous coal, the kind of coal found in the rich deposits of Appalachian, West Virginia, and whose suit-covered hands hold the shovel, that state senior senator, Joe Manchin, Santa or Grinch, depending on your persuasion. So where does this leave us? What's in store for 2022? I'll need my erstwhile colleagues, my boon companions here at the firm, swamis of the first order, Republican Bruce Melman and Democrat David Thomas to tell me what's in store. Bruce, David, welcome to 14th and G. Thank you for having us back, Dean. Dino is in fine form. I got to tell you, you know, it's uh, everybody's great at one thing in the world. And I've known Dean a bunch of years and didn't know what it was till right now. He's the greatest podcast host of all time. I feel good, Bruce. I think this is going to be my last day in the office and uh, we're going to we're going to take a little time off. But Bruce, before we can look ahead, we must clean house here at 14th and G. We put all corrections at the top of the show. Devoted listener Sarah Morris of iHeartRadio noted in our last podcast that Olivia Newton-John's physical was released in the fall of 1981, not 82. We regret the error, but we thank Sarah for keeping us honest. (laughs) Love you, Sarah. (laughs) Well, David, how about it? We don't want to dwell on the past. This is all about looking forward. But Manchin's out on Build Back Better. And where does that leave the president's agenda in 2022? Uh, you know, I think it, it, it depends on uh, what the definition of out is. Uh, I don't think he's out. I think this is a, a little bit of a timeout, maybe more than an out. And in fact, we're already seeing signs that the, the senator is uh, thinking a little bit about, about what he would like to see in a bill here. Now, look, what Joe Manchin said he didn't want to do a, a bill in 2021. Uh, he's getting his wish. There will be no <laughs> bill in 2021. But we've only got a handful of days left until we get to start again pushing the rock back up the hill here. Uh, I think that uh, uh, cooler heads will prevail after a nice holiday break. I suspect that the president and uh, Senator Manchin will be uh, uh, talking and getting together in the new year. And I think they'll get things back on track. I I think they're not nearly as far apart as people would like to say they are. I also think that the uh, day-to-day horse race and following this, it's a little bit easy to lose uh, perspective here. But uh, I think they'll be back. Uh, I think this is the last big piece of the agenda here. Uh, I don't think it's the kind of thing that's going to get done the first week back in January. But I think by the end of the first quarter, I think we may have ourselves a deal. Here's a question, though, DT, that I actually genuinely am wondering about, which is the the apparent strategy of kind of bullying and shaming. I mean, Jen Psaki and the White House came off the top rope with a pretty big elbow. Uh, the progressives are beating the hell out of uh, Manchin. Obviously, if you get him to quit, then you get a Republican. So either you think if you beat him up enough, you're going to flip him or folks are kind of taking the Trumpian, you know, let your id do the talking and don't worry about uh, a strategy. What's the theory on all of the social media, including the White House and Democratic leaders attacking Manchin? How does that get him on sides? Look, this is, sausage making is, is never pretty, uh, Bruce. As you know, I also think this is good cop, bad cop. And the uh, bad cops are the White House staffers who took a uh, took a few shots at uh, Senator Manchin here as an 
old hand at legislative affairs. There were a lot of times I wanted to take a shot at a member of Congress here, but uh, did not. <laughs> so, weren't given uh, the it opportunity. Was, it, it was it was a heck of a statement by <laughs> well, Jen DT. Psaki, you were the good cop. You were the good cop, and Gore was the bad cop. They yeah, had I, uh, I'm not, I'm, I think I was the Keystone cop is what I was, but I, <laughs> I, I, think, uh, but I think the president's going to be the good cop here. I think, look, these are two uh, old bulls who uh, know each other really well. They will get past uh, sniping here and think come together here. Uh, I really got, would be surprised if this doesn't come back together uh, pretty soon in the new year. This got awfully personal, David. It got awfully personal. I would refer you to a front page article in the Washington Post last week. It was above the fold. Joe Manchin's declared assets in his blind trust somehow didn't meet up with what he had declared in his financial disclosure. I think it was stuff like that that really put him off. I don't know if the White House was behind that, but I think things got awfully personal with him. But you're, you're, it's completely unfair to Joe Manchin. In President Biden's stated rhetoric, in every leading Democrat stated rhetoric, they want to do the biggest thing since the, since the New Deal, since the Great Depression. In 1932, FDR's landslide election against Herbert Hoover at the depths of the, of, the, of the Depression not only put Democrats in the majority in the Senate in 1932, but gave them a 10-seat majority in a 96-seat Senate. We didn't have Alaska and Hawaii yet. A 96-seat Senate, a 10-seat majority was massive. You've got a technical majority by the, by the virtue of the fact that the vice president breaks ties. This was too much. This was always too much to put on the thin reed of the majorities that Democrats enjoy in Congress today. I'm, I'm sorry, Dean. Was there a question there or is that just a, uh, just a rant? Not, <laughs> it's just a rant. Sure it was just a rant. You don't have to respond. It's just, it's Look, just a lot. Uh, no, so you're asking too much. And you've already done a $2 trillion COVID stimulus bill. You've done a, 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 an almost $2 trillion bipartisan infrastructure deal. And now another $2 trillion on top of that, given the majorities the Democrats have. It's a lot. Well, and you didn't mention the I word, Dean. This already was a mismatch between running to be the normal president focused on COVID and running to be the reenact, reincarnation of LBJ or FDR to say nothing of the highest inflation in 40 years, which is what for Manchin uh, is the reason to uh, to stand athwart history and yell stop. OK, are, you, are my Republican colleagues done here? <laughs> We're done. Mo- moving to reclaim We're my done. time. <laughs> <laughs> All right. I, I yield uh, uh, I yield uh, 90 seconds of myself here. Let's look at where we were one year ago uh, today. Covid is uh, raging. Uh, the economy is is teetering. Uh, there has been a very, very short transition because, of course, President Trump would not concede. So President Biden couldn't get a transition started. In two weeks from now, there was an insurrection at the Capitol, first time the Capitol been attacked since the war 1812. Two weeks later, the president finds out he has a 50-50 Senate, no, no room for error in the Senate, and a three-month majority in the House. So that was the hand he was dealt coming in on after a very tumultuous four years. That's the thing he has to deal with. So what has he gotten done? Let's review. Number one, the Recovery Act, done. Infrastructure bill, done. Uh, number three, government funding, done. There was no shutdown. Number four, debt ceiling, done. Uh, you have the most judges have been passed out of the United States Senate since President Kennedy was president. And the unemployment rate is as low, or I'm sorry, the job creation rate is as high as it has been in decades and decades here. That's a pretty good record here. The thing I'm most frustrated with here is that uh, Democrats are focused 
on Build Back Better not getting done by December 25th, when we have so much to talk about here. Build Back Better will get done. And this president will have done more in his first year than any president in our lifetimes. This is the Democrats' messaging operation. They're, they're I believe you've said it, David, they're navel-gazing. They're, they're not talking about, but these were bipartisan accomplishments. These were, th these all had the participation of Republicans and Build Back Better is using the budget reconciliation process to bypass Republicans in total. I'm, I'm surprised to hear my conservative friends say that because that is a very liberal definition of uh, bipartisanship here. Uh, if I go back and I look at the, uh, the debt ceiling <laughs> and, and government fund and, and, and the infrastructure bill in the House, there is not a lot of bipartisan work going on here. And it's not for not trying here. Uh, I think the president has made a very good effort to reach out to the other uh, side here. And uh, it has not always been reciprocated. There are a handful of senators who uh, I feel like are trying to uh, do the right thing and, and work with him. But unfortunately, they're not 10 of them. And so that's why things have been so tough. Well, there were 19 on infrastructure, although DT, I thought you were going to take it in a different direction. Getting 19 Republican senators on the infrastructure bill is an accomplishment for the administration. In fact, that's the president who was advertised during the campaign, the guy who would find the middle ground and work together. And, and debatably, that's what we were sold. That's what we got. And when he was there were his biggest accomplishments. And it's when he decided that he, you know, with the smallest majority since Grover Cleveland, actually smaller in the House, uh, wanted to do the biggest legislating since uh, FDR or LBJ, that's when he ran into problems. I would actually argue the bipartisan wins are part of both his success and what he promised he would do. Yeah, no, the infrastructure bill is a big success, especially because uh, over the past previous four years, infrastructure became a running joke because uh, President Trump uh, promised infrastructure week every week. Joe Biden actually got it done. So I, uh, again, uh, uh, if you sense frustration in my voice, it is only because I think the Democrats need to be talking more about what they have delivered and what they will be delivering as these bills are implemented in 2022. All right. So let's look ahead. We're, we're forward looking here. This is about 2022. The Senate comes back on January 3rd. The House comes back on January 10th. These guys are going to do what? Schumer says, I'm going to hold a vote on BBB come hell or high water. I find it hard to believe he's going to put Catherine Cortez Masto and Maggie Hassan on record for an unpopular vote with nothing to show for it. Like a lot of these House folks are, are on the record with nothing to show for it. The negotiations continue and we do what? Bueller. You're right. The, the, the Schumer bluster notwithstanding, which is A, kind of how Schumer always rolls, and B, you got to make sure AOC doesn't think she should run uh, for the Senate, because somehow that would change the vote of the senator from West Virginia, which, of course, it would not. Uh, I think what we know the way this ends, Manchin's going to come back and say, here are the one, two, three, six programs with their actual costs, not the Washington gimmick of let's pretend that we're going to be willing to end programs after two years or a year or three or whatever, but the actual lifetime costs. And instead of trying to do so many things in a short term that are all going to expire fashion, Manchin's going to work, uh, look at the menu that was BBB, pick some number of the programs within, have honest accounting as opposed to the Washington gimmick accounting, and that's what's going to become BBB. And my own belief is that as much as the progressives are going to be pissed off that this requires hard choices and therefore jettisoning a lot of jettisoning a lot of things that they like and that they care about, the choices are a mansion build back cheaper but real or nothing. And they're going to take the build back cheaper. The administration is going to get behind it. 
you know, and they're all going to declare victory, uh, even if, you know, the progressives decide and the problem is decide what that they need to win, run a progressive and win in West Virginia. Good luck with that. And Bruce, this is where you and I agree. I do think that Build Back Better will will uh, uh, rise from the dead here, uh, like the phoenix out of the ashes. I think it, it will get passed. <laughs> the other things, uh, Dean, that that we think are going to, you know, be in in both the the Senate in house here. Look, they're going to make a run at uh, voting rights uh, again in the Senate. They're not the uh, votes needed there to pass that, but I think it's going to happen, and that'll be an issue that'll be important in the midterms. I think uh, another bipartisan bill. Uh, is going to be uh, Uzika or the, the the China bill. I think that's going to likely uh, come together uh, once the Senate and the House can can come to an agreement there. So that the biggest thing that we're probably going to focus on, it doesn't have to do with necessarily with legislation. It is going to be the January 6th commission. We're coming up on the year anniversary of the uh, uh, insurrection at the Capitol. You've seen a lot of work being done by uh, that committee uh, uh, sort of now coming out a little bit more into the public here. And it is uh, that is something what they know uh, they have to get their work done before the midterms, because if the uh, if the House flips, that committee will be mothballed. So they know they're under a tight deadline to get their report done and uh, whatever uh, referrals that may come out of that. I'm actually going to slightly disagree, although not with much that you said there, DT, but more with the idea that that's kind of the big thing. Um, we know we you and I already know how that's going to end. We know what the truth was. We know they're going to find straight up proof uh, that starting with President Trump, some number of Republicans encouraged um, uh, going up to the Capitol. And while they didn't, I read, called directly for violence, they pretty much called for what they got. But okay, so the House then passes something along a mostly party line. It doesn't get past the filibuster in the Senate. And that's that. The thing that I think I'm spending a lot of time trying to get my brain around is the enforcement, oversight, and regulation. Because the Biden administration, which has been staffing up slowly, has been so focused on legislation because, as as you pointed out, as we talked about, giant legislative agenda, we're we're done with the days of swinging for the fences. And while you and I think there'll be a build back cheaper that uh, that is, you know, narrower, the next three years, regardless of the midterms, are going to be all about how the Biden administration can advance the things the president ran on, starting with climate, but including a lot of other things, through a much more activist government. People like Lena Khan at FTC or Gensler at SEC. That's where I think the action that matters the with, with the biggest tail, you know, longest tail and biggest impact to our clients is going to be found for the next three years. Oh, I totally agree with that, Bruce. I think that that's um, that's spot on. I think in, in 2022 and beyond, the the action in the executive branch through uh, executive order through regulation is going to be uh, huge and something that everybody needs to be watching. Well, what informing it all is going to be the uh, midterm elections. Uh, nothing happens without the, the impact of the elections coming up. David, the House Democrat retirements uh, seem to be reaching crisis proportions. Stephanie Murphy, a leading moderate in Florida, announced her retirement just this week. Uh, this comes on all the low-hanging fruit. Some of the old bulls like David Price and others have already announced their retirement. You sort of expect those uh, year to year. But when you start getting into some of the young, more dynamic, uh, quote-unquote, moderates and tougher to hold seats, it's not looking good for the House. What's your outlook? Uh, can, I, can, can I pass? Uh, no, I, I think this is a... Uh... A little bit of a canary in the coal mine here. Uh, members like serving in the majority. <laughs> they don't like serving in the minority. And so you see some uh, members, uh, you know, he- heading for the exits here to uh, 
of course, spend more time with their families. Uh, look, I was especially disappointed about Stephanie Murphy. I think she is a just a bright and talented legislator, has made a huge impact in a short uh, period of time. My hope is, is uh, that we will be seeing her again uh, at some point. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, the, the Democrats have a tough, a tough year ahead of them to, to hold on to the House between uh, redistricting and retirements and just the historic trends of how the President's party does in the first midterms. Uh, it's going to be tough to hold on to it here. Uh, I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not ruling it out, but I feel a little bit like uh, Jim Carrey in Dumb and Dumber, going. Uh, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> a million to one. Million yeah, to I'm one. only going to disagree with the canary <laughs> in the coal mine. The the, the uh, that the, that metaphor is because you know people didn't realize gas might be coming out, so they had a canary to let them know about a danger that was otherwise unseen. To me, it doesn't take uh, binoculars to look offshore and see there is a massive tidal wave coming. The house is gone. There truly is nothing uh, more feckless, more frustrating, and less fun than serving in the minority in the House of Representatives. And uh, I think these guys, I think you're right. I think they see it coming. The the probably more up in the air, a little more in question is is the is the fight for the Democrats to hold on to the Senate for Republicans to take it over. It's 50-50. The Democrats hold the Senate majority by virtue of the fact that the vice president can break ties. North Carolina, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Wisconsin. Look, the Republicans have a lot of seats they have to hold. And, and these are retiring members. We still don't know what Senator Johnson is going to do in Wisconsin. He's not declared. There are some interesting primary fights on the Republican side. Uh, Dr. Oz is in, in Pennsylvania. J.D. Vance in Ohio. Herschel Walker in Georgia. You know, some of these unproven first time political candidates, it's it's going to be super interesting. But Bruce, I'll kick off with you because this is the Republicans fight. They want to take the majority back. Mitch McConnell uh, wants to return to the majority leader's position once again. Can he do it? Well, we talked about this on the last podcast as well. I mean, if we can avoid jackass candidates, the Republicans, I think, pick up the Senate. Um, it is in no way established that they can avoid jackass candidates. You know, and the efforts by the former president and his still alive and profiting political operation are to find, uh, you know, to prioritize fealty over electability. Uh, McConnell, since 2014, has um, been very effective at, at doing all that he can do to make sure that the Republican likeliest to win a general is the, is the Republican who wins the primary. The unstoppable force is about to meet the immovable object, and uh, and it remains unknown. But uh, but there, the climate will be terrific for Republicans, which sometimes means even jackass candidates can win. Uh, hopefully, we will avoid uh, witches. <laughs> Look, this is where I, this is where I, I actually do feel much more optimistic here because I do think that the. Uh, the way the primaries uh, uh, may go are going to give the Democrats more opportunities than they should have uh, going into next year. The seats that are lining up are a little bit better for Democrats than they have been in the past few cycles here. Uh, and so Republicans are defending more. Uh, and and the, the, the candidates who um, are in the uh, tougher races are doing everything right. If you look at the Mark Kelly in Arizona, if you look at Reverend Warnock in Georgia, um, those guys have done a lot. In, they've only been in office for a year here. I'm super impressed with them. I think they're going to make a great case in, in both of their states to uh, uh, to get a return ticket. We'll see. I, you know, some of these uh, some of these states like Ohio and North Carolina. I think even what we would consider maybe the crazy candidate or the the non-establishment candidate. I think in North Carolina and Ohio. And certainly in Georgia and Alabama, those candidates have actual actual shots. Watch Pennsylvania, watch Wisconsin. 
Uh, we don't know what's going to come out of there. Those states are whether Senator Johnson runs for re-election in Wisconsin. We'll see if there's another candidate in there. Those states, Wisconsin and Pennsylvania, are much more swingy. And when you got a 50-50 Senate, either one could decide the Senate majority. All right, let's look ahead. Going into 2022, who's up? Who's down? We're going to do a little bit of lightning round here. Do they have candy? in their stocking or coal going into 2022. What does it look like for President Biden? Oh, I mean, I'm pretty clear when we're here. His his uh his candy overfloweth out of that stocking here. <laughs> I think he's had a great year. Uh I think he's pointed to have an even better one. I know this is supposed to be a lightning round here, but I, I'll also throw a prediction on top. Uh his approval rating right now is what about 43, 51, 43, 52, something like that. Approval disapproval. I think by Memorial Day, it's gonna flip. Because I think we're about to see a uh, incredible, uh, once we get through the first two months of the year, which I think are going to be very tough with COVID here, I think we're looking at a great year. I 43% think is, is a coal off. 43% so, uh, is a coal adjacent approval rating. <laughs> I think 43% is coal in an ice cream cone that he's licking and doesn't realize is an ice cream. Uh, Chuck Schumer, candy or coal? Uh, Chuck Schumer, I, I, I'm not sure I'm going candy or coal at this point here. We have to see... Uh, how he's managing this uh, conference call that's going on with this caucus as we speak here. Does he get it over the line? That's the question for, for Majority Leader Schumer. Yes. Mitch McConnell, candy or coal? I'm going to say candy. Uh, and the only question mark is the uh, is the candidates in the uh, in the states you mentioned. But uh, he's, he's having a pretty good run. He steered his caucus through some pretty rough waters. And his grip on the caucus has never been more firm. I give Mitch McConnell candy. Speaker Pelosi. And I guess the question there, candy or coal? Look, the woman's had an amazing career. I, you know, there's there's not a speaker in, in modern history that has been uh, more long lasting or more effective than she has. Uh, whether you think that effectiveness has been put to good use or not, I guess the question is, does Nancy Pelosi have a third act? We we've talked about her. Hey, you're you're right, Dean. I couldn't say it better. She is the uh, most consequential speaker. Uh, not just in uh, our uh, lifetime, but I think she may be the most consequential speaker in the history of the House of Representatives. Just uh, just an astonishing uh, record and career. If she wants a third act, she'll have it. Bruce, <laughs> you want to add something there? Uh, I think I'm going to leave Andy that in the Cole. chat. because uh... <laughs> just leave that. Kevin McCarthy. Candy or coal? Some days he's up, some days he's down. It's not clear if, if, and when the Republicans take the majority in the House of Representatives. If he is the de facto speaker, Bruce, what do you think? He's playing actually a tougher hand in some ways than people think. I mean, now it's easy to be the major minority leader in the House. You're just basically we're against everything. Period. Full stop. But at the same time, he's got you know a a uh, worrisomely large nut job caucus that uh, you know that wants to kick a bunch of republicans out of the conference and otherwise are are difficult to manage and a logical person would say well clearly they're going to support the republican alternative to the democrat to be speaker next year but i think a lot of the right wing of the right wing are going to show up with demands you know we they, they, a lot of those guys love being against Boehner they love being against Paul Ryan and the question becomes, will Kevin or anybody else call their bluff and say, there's no alternative. You're either for the Republican without getting all of these things that you guys want, starting with kicking people out, whether Republicans or Democrats from committees, either support the Republican or the Democrats hold the speaker's gavel. There's a very, so they're going to pick up the House. McCarthy is going to be credited for a lot of it and properly so given his fundraising. But 
he's already looking at that January and thinking, how do I get them in this car today without uh, deals that don't make any sense and are not appropriate to cut, which would make it impossible to be an effective speaker in 2023. And that's, he's already looking pretty far downfield. It's all, it's all about the size of this wave. If it's, if it's fewer than 10, if the, if the Republicans end up with a majority fewer than 10 seats, all bets are off. Anything can happen because just a handful of these crazies can get together and deny anyone the speakership, much less Kevin McCarthy. If he's so here's if it's a, a 15 or 20 seat majority, different story. So uh, here's where I disagree with you. That handful that, that you're talking about, Dean, is more than a handful. Crazy caucus of, or, or whatever uh, we'll, we'll call them is growing and getting bigger by the day. Uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, wrote a book a decade ago. Uh, his colleagues, Paul Ryan and Eric Cantor, called Young Guns. Young Guns. And they said how oh, they're going to take over the party and they're going to bring in all these people. And it created the, the right at the dawn of the Tea Party movement here. And it is a movement that will then finally overtake him when they take back the House and he doesn't <laughs> become the speaker again. He will be put out because he's not going to be seen as pure enough or whatever the heck the problem is going to be of the day. He won't be uh, the next uh, speaker of the House or a uh, Republican leader, he's hit his uh, uh, high watermark. He's I'll take last. you uh, f- five bucks on that one. I, I, I hear what your theory is, DT, but I don't think uh, there's going to be anybody else who, who who is close to running against them or credible there. You know, he's that's the game he's playing. But uh, Dean's right. If it's too narrow, then it gets really into crazy town. But if there's enough of a majority, you can lose the you know, the few who would, you know, who are true nihilists and would rather not have Republicans take it over if they don't get all of their wishes, because that's sort of their brand is, is burn it all down. He's the last young gun standing. Uh, we shall see. Um, not for long. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump, candy or coal? Gold plated candy <laughs> spilling out of the uh, extra large stocking candy, by the golden more candy than you've fireplace ever seen. in I'm told by Look, many people my candy is the best candy Donald people Trump, are saying uh, that's what people are saying that's what people are saying uh, as much as I think some of my colleagues uh, uh, would prefer this not to be the case Donald Trump is the Republican Party there is uh, he is is uh, even more in control now than he was a year ago. You know, he any chance there was for people to take him on post insurrection uh, quickly disappeared. You know, other than uh, Congressman uh, Kinzinger and, and Congresswoman Cheney, nobody's really stood up to him this year. Um, he's in charge. You got to go kiss his ring. If he wants to run for president again, he's going to run unopposed. I guess that means he he had a good year. I don't know. Glenn Youngkin showed that you don't have to go to Mar-a-Lago and kiss the ring, though you don't, you know, you also don't want to declare war. But I thought in Virginia, he showed a not totally easy to replicate, given they have a caucus and other uh, differences. But he showed a path for a sane person to run on real issues and uh, neither uh, go to war against Donald Trump nor hug it out with him. Yeah, I don't, Trump can't be exactly managed, but Trump can be navigated. And, and that is what Glenn Youngkin did in Virginia. That's what a number of Republican candidates want to do. And DT, your colleagues are not sad that Donald Trump is the face of the Republican Party. You want Donald Trump as the as the sole face of the Republican Party. But I don't think that's going to be the case come 2024. And we will see. He is making moves on the chessboard, put Senate candidates and House candidates in place. We'll see how he comes out of this in 22. But the strategy thus far has been to navigate, uh, not to try to manage Trump, but to just get through without getting hit too hard. Any big, bold predictions for 2022? 
Yeah, I think I alluded to it earlier. Uh, Biden's approval rating, 51.40 by uh, Memorial Day. I'm going to hold Take you it to, to the that. Bank. I'm going to hold you to that. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a sad prediction. I think both Donald Trump and Joe Biden will catch Omicron along with probably all three of us. We're all going to get Omicron. That is my, that is my prediction. A sad prediction, but one uh, that's hopefully going to move us into a better place of managing this and and just living with it as uh, it is what it is. Bruce Melman, David Thomas, I wish you both a Merry Christmas, a Happy Hanukkah, and all the good things in the new year. Thank you so much for joining me on 14th and G, not only today, but all year long. You're the gift that keeps on giving. Great job in 2021, Dino.